All right. Good morning, Sovereign Grace. Merry belated Christmas. All right. Happy 26th of December. Okay. If you have your Bibles, please turn, click, or scroll to the book of John, chapter 8. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 8. All right, if you all have it, we're going to read it, and then we're going to pray, then we'll talk about it. John chapter 8, verse 12. One verse. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your blessings that are bestowed upon us this morning, this season. Once again, I I thank you for the reason of Christmas, what we celebrate, your Son coming into a dark world, to be the light of the world, to be the Savior of the world. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for He is our light. Thank you for if we follow Him, we will not. We will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. I pray today, Lord, that You would do a mighty work in in hearts and minds and affections and understanding and that You would transform our lives today for Your glory and our joy. Let us behold You and be transformed. When we truly see You, we are transformed glory to glory, one degree to another. We want to behold you and we want to worship you. So we depend on your Holy Spirit. We invite you, come Holy Spirit, come. Come and do your work in our lives. We are yours and we count on you to appear and show, reveal the Son of God to us once again. And it is in His beautiful holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord once again makes a gigantic statement. When He says, I am the light of the world, that's a big statement. And Jesus makes a lot of them. If you haven't noticed, He makes a lot of big statements. My hope today is that we will have a little bit of a longer introduction. We're going to read a lot of Scripture because I want to take a look at this concept of light and darkness. Light and darkness that this, the Bible develops really throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I want to take a look at it because I think if we do look at the Bible, the way the Bible talks about it, we will understand it a lot better when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It will make a lot more sense. Now, having said that, the concept of light and darkness is a universal Universal term, universal concept, where not only people with Jewish background or, or Christian background, people that understand the Bible or have some familiarity with it, can understand, but people from all backgrounds and cultures can probably understand the concept, the contrast between light and darkness and what they symbolize. We have all said, wow, did you see that movie? That is a dark movie. 
You hear a song on the radio and you go, my goodness, that is a dark song. The darkest lyrics I've ever heard. We all use the term in that way. So we understand, we have, we have a, um, a natural understanding, I think, that, that darkness convey a, a, an idea of something repulsive, something that is evil or bad, and, and light is the exact opposite of it. So people from all kinds of backgrounds can get to this verse and, and have some grasp intellectually of what Jesus is saying. But the Bible gets very specific when it does talk about light and darkness. For example, in Colossians 1.13, which is not part of the context in which Jesus said those words to those people, because obviously they did not have what we call the New Testament. But this is more or less what the Bible, when it presents the concept of light and darkness, more developed, this is how the Bible talks about it. In, in Colossians 1.13, the Bible talks about God delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we see that whatever this darkness is, this evil thing is, it, it is something apart, separated from the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The kingdom of Jesus is one thing separated, distinct from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness. Whatever this darkness is, it stands in opposition to the beloved Son of God. It is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual, moral darkness. But this separation, this concept of light and darkness, this contrast starts way before the New Testament, way before Colossians 1.13. We see in the beginning of the Bible, the fourth verse of the first book, Genesis, the book of beginnings, we are told that God separated light from darkness. And that really becomes a theme or a metaphor for what God has been doing ever since. Where He brings His people out of the world, and where He is in the presence of His people, there is light. And outside of that, there is darkness. We see in Exodus, for example, that when God led the people out of Egypt, how did He guide them? It's an actual question. Fire by night. He shed light. There was a pillar of fire, cloud during the day, and a pillar of fire. In the midst of all of that darkness, that pillar of fire was the holy presence of God in the midst of His people. And outside of that... In the desert, in the wilderness, there was darkness. But there where God was, there was light. There was a separation between light and darkness. So in that sense, we see that that's a type of the presence of God. It points to the presence of God. It symbolizes the presence of God among His people. The Bible proceeds to describe uh, the way of the wicked. In Proverbs, for, ex for example... Proverbs 2, the way of the wicked is described as the ways of darkness. The ways of those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. In the Psalms, death itself is called darkness. Psalm 88 verse 11, the psalm is called death, darkness. In 1 Samuel 2.9, the final fate of the enemies of God is called darkness. They will be cut off in darkness. 
in that context, it's actually more than only being defeated as an enemy, but eternal darkness, eternal punishment. We all remember that in leading the people out of Egypt, one of God's judgments against Egypt was darkness, a thick darkness that they could not see a thing in front of them. And to me, one of the most frightening examples of this darkness is that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified, what came over the land? A thick darkness, unusual, supernatural darkness came over the land. As a sign of God's clear displeasure with humanity, crucifying His Son, killing His Son. We have had many bloody days in history and many shameful days in history. That is the darkest day in the history of mankind. When the Son of God who came to redeem sinners, who came into a dark world to save them, to save us, to save a world that lies and dwells in darkness. And this world, this Mankind, these sinners, killed the very Son of God that took humanity upon Himself and, and lived among us. And we didn't receive Him. We killed Him. That was the darkest day in history. Now, we could read verses and verses and verses out of the Old and New Testament to describe what this darkness is. But I think this will suffice for now. We can understand that darkness in the Bible, whatever it is, it does have many facets. But one thing is clear. Darkness. It, it's, it, it's a predominant metaphor of everything anti-God. Everything that stands in opposition to the person and purpose and plan and holiness of God is called darkness. And the, wor the worst thing about spiritual darkness, this darkness, we're not talking about physical darkness, it's something spiritual, it's something that reigns in the realm of the immaterial. It, it, it's a moral darkness that the world lives in. When we talk about the inability of sinners to come to Christ, it is not an intellectual inability. It's a spiritual, moral inability where the sinner puts himself above God in his moral pursuits. The highest moral pursuit there, there is is the very person of God. Outside of that, there is no true holiness. It is a spiritual darkness because in that rebellion, in that blindness, men reject the holiest being there is and there can be, who is the only source of satisfaction, that eternal satisfaction that we can ever attain. But man, in his blindness, will say, no, I got this. Do you think that if there was any other way to redeem man or mankind out of, out of darkness, would God sacrifice His one and only Son if I could achieve salvation and my deliverance out of the world of darkness, the domain of darkness, 
would God kill His only Son? Some people may say that, you know, by saying that Jesus is the only way, you're being the judgmental, and that's not humble. That is actually a slap in God's face. Can you imagine you as a parent, if you sacrifice your son and someone else says, uh, to save their life, and, and they'll say, you know, I know you sacrificed your son, but, you know, that's judgmental to, see, to think that only your son can save us. I can do it on my own. Would that be a slap on your face? How would that make you feel? And yet we want to force that into God, onto God, to make God be less judgmental, to be less exclusive, so we can all get along. When we deal with the person of Jesus and the things he says, the story is different. Now, to say that people live in darkness, it's a statement of fact. It is not an indictment, or at least it doesn't have to be. Biblically, to say that a sinner lives in darkness, it doesn't have to be an indictment, an accusation. It is just a statement of fact. I mean, my goodness, can we, can we agree that the world lives in darkness? There's poverty, there's evil everywhere. There's uh, uh, the, the miscarriage of justice before our eyes every day all over the world. There's murder, adultery, there's famines. You know, all you got to do, you know, it's killing, uh, people killing people for no reason. All you got to do is either read the, the, the paper or history books, watch the news. It doesn't take long before, before you see some kind of tragedy that is caused by, by human beings. What happened in Genesis 3, the fall, sin, caused a depth of alienation from God that only a miracle can save us from it. There's no other way to say it. There's no other way to say it. When Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged humanity into a world of darkness where everything is spinning out of whack. And we realize that. There's this darkness that we just feel it. You talk to a sinner that is paying attention. There's always something that is not quiet in them. Because, because the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. That there is a necessity of God that we have. A need for God that we have. That sinners, sinners just know it. Whether they call it necessity for God or not. But they're always seeking their ultimate joy and they never find it. Some people go throughout their own lives in this search. And they'll never find because they never find God. It is a strange love affair that men love and hate the darkness. They hate the darkness that they live in. We hate the darkness that we live in when we are apart from Christ. And yet when Christ is offered as the light of the world, we reject Him and we run into darkness a little bit more. We go deeper into darkness. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3, right? We hate that darkness and we want to acquire more knowledge and more understanding and 
be better philosophers and, and, and science and make progress. And there's this search and it's like running on a treadmill. You never go anywhere. But at the same time, when light comes into the world, men reject the light and flees to darkness because their deeds are evil. Because to come to Christ, you will, you will have your deeds exposed. Light exposes you, first of all, to yourself. First of all, to yourself. It has been said that one of the toughest things a man can do is to face himself, truly. To realize the darkness that you live in, the, the darkness in which you live, the necessity of God, and how apart from Christ you are lost, that is a difficult thing. It does take a miracle. When Jesus Christ talks about Him being the light of the world, that's very important because He's not saying He is one of the lights. He's not saying He possesses something that others may possess. Jesus Christ, by claiming He is the singular light of the world, He is saying that He is the only solution to that predicament in which the world lies. There is no other way. I know that's not politically correct, but Jesus isn't. And I just delivered the mail. I'm not making this up. Jesus says He is the light of the world. Now, Jesus is teaching people that they have at least some familiarity to the Scriptures, to this concept of light that He's talking about. Because verse 20 of, of chapter 8 will say that Jesus was in the treasury of the temple when He said that. Let's, let's just read it so we can make it clear. These words, that is the words from verse 12 and on, uh, um, these words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple. But no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. Now the treasury, that's where people in the temple, it was, it was another court, it wasn't really, uh, there wasn't a roof over it, it, was like a big, it wasn't a big construction. It was like colonnades, and that was designated uh, for the, the bringing of the, tithing, the tithes and, and offerings. Now, not a hangout place for unbelievers. Unbelievers don't flock to church and give their money to church, right? They don't hang out there. Only the people who went there to give their tithes and offerings were there. So he's talking to people that have at least some understanding and grasp of this concept of light. And he has just said that the world lies in darkness. He is the light of the world. Outside, if that is true, it follows that outside of Jesus Christ, there is not even a spark, a glimpse of true light. Now, this is a moment where you don't want my job. Because this can get you killed in many countries. I praise God for the liberty we enjoy. But it already gets us in a lot of trouble. So are you saying the other religions are not correct? Yeah, I understand Jesus to be saying exactly that. I rather agree with Him. And it is so bad that it has been done in so many so many ways that are unbiblical, that are not Jesus-like. Nevertheless, it is a truth that outside of Jesus, 
There is no life. There is only darkness and damnation. I mean, that has got to cause to stir something in us. That has got to cause some sense of urgency in expanding its, in regards to expanding his kingdom. Because there's a hurting, dark world all around us. Humanity, every single human being is born alienated from God. And we have this light. We have this light of life that has got to bring something about. It has got to bring, that has got to bring action about. He is that light. He's, he's not claiming to have something that others may have, but He is the unique Son of God, and um, He is the only one who possesses um, light, the light of life. The idea of light in the Bible is it's, it, it symbolizes. It, it's a symbol for many different things. One of them is God's goodness and presence with His people. In Psalms 4, in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, the psalmist says this, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. It also symbolizes God's salvation. And actually God Himself is called the light. Psalms 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So here we see that light and salvation are synonyms. And they're also synonyms to the Lord Himself. God Himself is said to be the light of the psalmist. Jesus Christ is talking to people who know this psalm. Jesus Christ is claiming when He says, I am the light of the world. There's a claim of deity. Jesus Christ is claiming to be God. He's doing something no different than what He has done throughout the chapters of John. In chapter 4, when He claims to be the Messiah who is also, even in the rabbinic teachings, who is also called the light. The name of the Messiah is light. In chapter 4, he meets that woman by the well, and he's talking about water. And then all of a sudden she goes, you know, when the Messiah comes, we will have all these, these uh, controversies explained. He goes, I am the Messiah. In chapter 5, he will do the same thing. Chapter 6, he feeds them, multiplies the bread, and he'll say, I am the bread of life. I am the one who can satisfy you eternally. In chapter 7, in the great day of the feast, verses 37 through 39, he gets that moment, the very climatic moment where they were having the, the, the pouring of the water on the altar to celebrate the way God has provided for them and struck the rock, and Moses struck the rock and water came out of the rock when they were led out of Egypt. They were having that big ceremony in the great day of the feast. Jesus Christ in that split second, He gets that moment. He takes that moment, spins it around, and makes it about Himself. He applies it to Himself. If any man thirsts, let them come to Me. And out of His heart will flow rivers 
of living water. Here's just no different. He's taking a moment, a scene that is behind him, that is present, and he's making that about himself. What is that scene? It's just saying, verse 12 is just saying that, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. It doesn't say anything about the background. Verse 20 will say that they are in the treasury, where people brought the tithes and offerings. The treasury, for whatever reason, the treasury in the, the architecture of the temple, the treasury was located in the women's court. Now, the court, there were several courts around the temple. It was a huge area. The court, it, it doesn't mean, the women's court doesn't mean that there were only women there. After all, Jesus is there. But it does mean that that's the farthest the women could go. The only one in the temple that's the farthest women could go, unless they were being in a sacrifice to the priest. Other than that, if they wanted to hang out to go in the temple, that was the farthest court that they could go. The only one that was uh, even farther from the main, the Holy of Holies, Holies, was the court of the Gentiles. It was like even after the women's court. But one thing that they did was that there was this big ceremony at night where they celebrate, celebrated, commemorated the pillar of fire that led them out of Egypt during the Feast of the Tabernacles in the women's court. That was this huge candelabra. Huge, with seven heads. Just huge. Uh, commentators do differ, differ a little bit on if there were uh, any other smaller ones. But the fact is that what they did at night when evening came, what they did during the celebration was that they would light that up. And that was huge fire. It was a huge fire. And there was a saying that every corner of Jerusalem was uh, lit up illuminated because of those lights that symbolize the presence of God leading them all of that light when Jesus Christ says that the previous verses when he had that controversy about the woman it says there was early morning so the fire was probably gone but the scene was painted and I truly believe I truly believe that that he's not speaking in a vacuum the candelabras they're right there symbolizing something. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, He's clearly pointing to that which symbolizes God in their midst. God leading them. He's offering Himself as the only one who can guide the people into eternal life. That's a gigantic statement. Sane people don't say that. Sane people don't say that unless it's true. You put those words in, in any, any other man's mouth, that's idiotic. That's crazy. Probably people wouldn't even give them the time of day. In the 80s, in, in researching for this, in the 80s, I didn't even want to mess with his name. He was an Eastern guru from Jersey, by the way. I don't know if he was really for real. If he was actually from the Middle East. But anyways, um, this guy claimed to be the light of the world. You know, and he believes in, in positive thinking and sending vibrations. And he said, I am the light of the world. I really think I can save the world. This world that lies in darkness, I really think I can. I need one billion dollars so I can train 40,000 men, make them gurus like me. And if I train 40,000 men, we can send enough positive vibration and enough positive thoughts throughout the creation, throughout the world. And things will be good again. It's going to heal the, 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 
the darkness, going to deliver us from darkness. Now, I don't know if they didn't give him the money because we're still seeing, I mean, the 80s are long gone and we still seem to be in the same darkness. But this is a guy that no one gave him a, a lot of attention because you put those words, I am the light of the world, in any other man's mouth, you just sound crazy. Jesus Christ is not crazy. He's saying it because he is the light of the world. Psalms 44, 3. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them, but your, God's, your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Isn't that cool how God delivers His people in battle, causes them to win by the light of His face because He delights in them? God delighting in His people. That's a concept that any, no other religion, ha, religion has. God delighting in His people. And He fights for them. God fights for His people. Now, if you are the people of God, you've you got to rejoice. That has to impact you. God, <clears throat> the Bible talks about the light of God or the light being <clears throat> His revelation, His word. We sang it today. Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then you scroll down a little bit more to verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. What do you mean, psalmist? It imparts understanding to the simple. The unfolding of God's word gives light. Even the simplest people can, can have understanding. Did that help you see the magnitude of, of what Jesus is saying? The size of His statement? What He's claiming to be? The goodness of God in sending His Son? Now, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. People who are spiritually blind, living in His darkness, and by nature deserves His wrath. We are by nature enemies of God. We are born in alienation from God. Because of sin, we don't desire God. Maybe one of the best texts that describing this spiritual darkness, it, it maybe is the second chapter of Ephesians, the first three verses, where it says that, we are dead spiritually, following the world, following Satan, under the work of Satan, and by nature, children of wrath. That conveys the darkness in which the world lives. That's the depth of the darkness of the world God decided to save by sending Jesus. Jesus Christ is offering Himself to be deliverance, salvation, where punishment is deserved. Jesus Christ, once again, is showing Himself to be hope where there is only despair. To be freedom where there is slavery, bondage. Jesus Christ is comfort where there is pain. And joy where there is lament. Now, I don't know where your heart is this morning. But these aren't just dead words on a page. 
These are not just some words that was, were spoken to them back in the day. And we're just studying here to gain some kind of sick knowledge. That we just know this. This is a living promise. This morning you find yourself here, sitting in church, listening, hearing this, hearing Jesus Christ offering Himself once again to be your light. To cause you to walk in light, in the light of life. Jesus Christ this morning is offering Himself to you, to all of those who can hear or read these words. When Jesus says the world, He's breaking barriers. Because He's talking about two things at least. He's talking about the quality of these people, bad, sinners, people in darkness, people in rebellion against Him, against God. That's what the world, the word world conveys. The quality of these people that He's saving, people that deserve punishment. And also the world means outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Jews, outside of ethnic barriers. We read it today that the Messiah would bring a light unto the nations. Isaiah 49, 6. That was a mind-bending concept to them. Because they judged them, even though it was in the Scriptures, they judged themselves to be the possessors of light. And they, they weren't really willing to share it with the Gentiles. But you Gentiles are in because He is the light of the world. He didn't say He is the light of Israel only. But He is the light of the world. That puts you in on that promise. The offer is still valid. The offer is still good today. And if that were not enough, Jesus attaches a promise to it. Now, showing His beauty in, in the way that He is a lot of... He being God made Himself man and came into a dark world to save sinners. That should be enough for us to be excited and to live a holy life, to know this God, to pursue this God and to love this God. But Jesus always does better. He always does something extra. He always exceeds our expectations. He attaches a promise to it when He says... I am the light of the world. Now he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, did you hear the preservation of the saints here? God's preserving his people when he says, will not. You don't have to wander in darkness, in the darkness of despair. Do I have to achieve some kind of salvation? How, how is my performance? You don't have to walk in that darkness. You don't have to walk in the darkness of eternal destruction. In the darkness of doubt if you have done enough. In the darkness of depression. In the darkness of alienation from God. In the darkness of not knowing God. In the darkness of, not, of rebelling against a holy God and being guilty in His tribunal. In the darkness of not knowing if you can be saved. Because the people who follow Jesus will rest on the work of another. 
We don't rest in our own work for salvation. When Jesus said, it is finished, He wasn't just saying, people. It was finished. He has accomplished everything that you and I couldn't. He had paid a price that you and I could not pay. It is done. While a lot of religions will say, do better, try harder. Jesus Christ says, it is done. It's accomplished. It is finished. It is paid in full. Therefore, you don't have to walk in darkness. It is clear as day. Jesus Christ has triumphed. Amen? Praise God. There will be no dropouts. He will not. He has just said that He will not walk out on you in the middle of the journey. You follow Me, you will not walk in darkness. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but my performance isn't great. More often than not. But I can lay my head on, the, on my pillow and know that my Redeemer has done it. I don't have to rest on my works. That doesn't mean we don't do a thing anymore because if the Lord of the universe, the God of the universe, the one who spoke the, universes in, in, in the universe and the worlds into existence, if He lives in you, can we agree that it's going to cause a certain living? Can we agree that walking in light, in the light of life, in the light, life-giving light of God will cause you to stand out of the world that will be in but not of? It will cause you to walk in, in, in a way that those in darkness don't. The Apostle John flat out tells us, if we say we know the light and we walk in darkness, we, do not, we lie and we do not practice the truth. That verse hardly needs any exposition. Amen? It will cause a certain walk in His people. God's people will follow Jesus, will walk in light and not in darkness. Because He is powerful to accomplish it. Philippians 1.6 says that He will accomplish, He will finish what He has begun. And we can rest, we can come to the loving, loving and mighty arms of Jesus. Jesus is strong enough to keep you from the day He rescued you, He rescued you to the final day and throughout eternity. And he has just said that in the fact that he said, you will not walk in darkness. Jesus Christ offers a life that is a spiritually charged life. Literally, a life that is a life of the world to come. A life filled by the Holy Spirit. Even in the previous chapter when he said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and out of his, his uh, heart will flow Rivers of living water. He spoke of living water being the Holy Spirit. Basically said, come unto me and receive the Holy Spirit and live this life of the world to come. A supernatural, abundant life. 
that it's not possible outside of Jesus Christ. He is strong to keep us. Now, if we are truly delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to God's kingdom, to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, <clears throat> that's an internal, immaterial, total heart transformation to the core of who you are. You receive a new heart that now is not only, <clears throat> not only has sensibility to God, but desires God. And all things that belong to His salvation. It is a total transformation. Now there's a sign on your heart. If you believe in Christ, if you follow Christ, now there's a sign that says, under new management. If you've been transferred, the domain of darkness is not there anymore. Now it's the domain of Christ. And that will cause you to live a certain way. Some people say, Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because if you have received Jesus, the question is not how we receive Him. Oh, I'm going to choose this and not that. He is Lord and He doesn't change Himself because you received Him. The question is not He is Lord or not. He is Lord. There is no question. The question is the obedience. Do you follow Him or do you not follow Him? And in obedience, we will walk in light. Now, what is that going to look like? What does walking in, 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 in light is going to look like? Because if we're not walking in darkness, we are walking in light. There is no middle ground. I don't know all the answers. I don't know exactly what or all the things that that would mean or all the things that that would look like walking in, in, in light as a church and as an individual. But I do have dreams. I do have dreams. I have dreams for myself, obviously, my family. I have dreams for this church. I have high dreams. And you know what's so pitiful? That my high dreams, they don't even scratch the surface of God's dreams for His people. He always has something prepared that we can't even imagine. He always has something more, something greater for His people. But I dream that our church would be, would have a standard of holiness that would blow people's minds away. That it would be unbelievable for people on the outside, people on the outside to look at us and see something different and that they really couldn't figure out. A standard of holiness and compassion that would outdo everybody else out there. Not a, a standard of holier than thouness, but something that comes from people that are overwhelmed by the love and presence of God. And we just would overflow with love, holiness, and compassion towards a world that lies out there in darkness. I dream that for you. I dream that for Sovereign Grace Fellowship of South Bay in California, in Lomita, 2010, based on this promise made 2,000 years ago. I dream that we as a church would bring, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring relief to the world out there. I think we're good. 
at seizing opportunities. I have seen wild things in this church. I have been on the receiving end of mad, mad love in this church. I have seen God acting powerfully where opportunities come and help and hope springs up. When someone talks about, hey, this is what I do for, for homeless, homeless people, I give them you know, a, a, a five... Um, a $5 cholesterol gift and a, a McDonald's gift card and, um, and a New Testament. And I make it nicely and, and I give it to them. And someone says, hey, we could do this as, as a church. We could all do this. It's a good idea. Let's, you know, when a tragedy happens outside of the country, we get mobilized and, and we seize that opportunity to bless them. I think we still have room to improve, though. I do. You know what else I think we have room to improve? And, and this, is, this is not an indictment, but it's just... I'm speaking out of my own experience. We could get a lot better in, in being more diligent. In not only seizing opportunities, but... Let's create more opportunities to show the light of Christ out there. In being diligent, in sitting down maybe, and, and strategizing. Uh, do you have any ideas, Marcelo? No. No, but I'd love to sit down at home group and, and just hash these things out. And do, does somebody know anybody that is in, in, in need? Let's, start, let's bless people. Let's be out there. Because we will always have challenges and obstacles in our daily lives. And I would love to get together with the men, with our home groups, with our church, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow in that area, in, in dribbling, being more able, in dribbling the daily obstacles, and being able to show more and more the love of Christ. I think when we seek, we seek the face of God in these things, He shows Himself powerfully to us. So are we going legalist on me right now, Marcelo? No. I'm not saying let's do this to gain the love of God. I'm saying let's do this because we have the love of God. And because our Bible tells us that there's a world out there that lives in darkness. I dream that we would show honor. We would, like in Romans 12 it says, that we would outdo each other in showing honor to each other, that by the love we feel and demonstrate for each other, the world would know that we are Jesus' disciples. I think God has dreams and plans for this church, for each and every one here. And Jesus Christ today, with a lot of scripture reading, with one verse, He's saying He is the light of the world. If you follow Him, you will not walk in darkness. He is mighty and He is loving to keep you throughout eternity. No matter what life what is going to throw at you, Jesus Christ is going to be there. His mighty hand will hold you. And my goal is that that would encourage you 
that would empower you to live during the week and that would grow your affections for Christ that you would be blown away by His goodness in coming to a dark world in which all of us lived before we came to Him and He out of His own free will and goodness and loving kindness has rescued us I hope that would warm your heart and cause your affections to grow more and more to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is our Redeemer and will not let us walk in darkness. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I love you. Let's uh, pray and then we'll sing and worship the light of the world. Father, I thank you for your awesome promises. I thank you that... uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that He is our light. I thank You that we don't have to worry if He's going to drop us in the middle of the journey, but we have His good word that He won't. And that causes a great deal of comfort in our hearts. I pray that uh, Your word would find a soil that would be fertile in, in their hearts and that uh, it would encourage them and empower them and strengthen them in their faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.